The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Now, after listening to that, you got to listen to me. <laughs> I just happened to be thinking as I was sitting here, uh, Taylor, when he goes home for spring break in a, in a couple of weeks, he's going to preach his first sermon. And we, when we're, we were talking about that, and I got to thinking about my first sermon at Maple City Baptist Church in Goshen, Indiana. I was not called to the ministry yet. I just had a pastor that said, let's let the young men of the church preach. So I preached. I preached on Psalm 150. This is going to be very different from today's sermon. <laughs> Out of the book of Ezekiel chapter 9. So um, just pray for the sermon. Pray that God will open your heart, open your mind, open your ears as, as we um, preach God's word this morning. Parents. How often do you have to remind your little ones about the stove? <laughs> Don't touch the stove. It's hot. You're going to get hurt. And you told them one time, and they got it, and they never had to tell them again, right? No, either you've told them many, many times, and like this picture, you can't hardly see it, but there's a, actually a shield on the stove there. You know, and you protect it, and you do all kinds of things, and you hope that someday they get old enough to actually understand what hot means, right? But unfortunately, most kids, they touch it. And this had results, right? It's like they touch it. 
purpose or accidentally, they touch it, and then they realize what hot means. And then how often do you have to remind them that it's hot after that? Often. <laughs> they finally get it. Some kids are stubborn. They have to tell them, tw- you know, they have to be burnt twice before you get it. Some kids are smart enough. They, they figure it out. They see an older brother or a sister or an older cousin self get burnt, and they go, oh, yeah, well, I don't want that. But you know what? How many times in Scripture does God warn us to stay away from evil? We see it throughout the Old Testament. We read it in the New Testament. Jesus said what? Be salt and light, because if you lose your saltiness, what good are you? Just pitch you out. God warns us, Israel, about staying away from evil. We start warning back in Deuteronomy. What? Deuteronomy. Before there was even a kingdom, before they even made it to the promised land, God said, but it shall come about that if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe all his commands and his statutes with which I charge you today, these are all the curses that will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed you shall be in the country. Cursed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be your offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Cursed you, will, you shall be when you come in, and cursed you shall be when you go out. And then he says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and in thirst and nakedness and in lack of all things. He will put you on an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. What have we been reading about in Ezekiel? This is in Deuteronomy. This was written around, give or take, depending on the scholar, 1400 B.C., We're talking about 600, 800 years before the events of Ezekiel. Before any kings of Israel even existed. Before Israel even existed as a country. They had not made it to the promised land. And here God is saying, here's what's going to happen. And now we're in Ezekiel. And we're seeing it happen. Jeremiah is a contemporary to Ezekiel. Over and over again. So Ezekiel is in Babylon. He's been exiled Jerusalem. So as we're going through Ezekiel, Ezekiel is physically in Babylon, out in the countryside. And then in this vision, he is in Jerusalem. But Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem. And he's saying things like, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the house and speak to all the cities of Judah who have come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I have commanded you to speak, do not omit a word. Perhaps they will listen and everyone will, be, will return from his evil way and I repent of the calamity which I am planning to do to them because of the evil of their deeds. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, which I have been sending to you again and again, 
but you have not listened. Then I will make you like the house of Shiloh, and this city will, be, will, make, will make a curse to all the nations of the world. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. When Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, the priests and all the people seized him saying, You must die! Why was Jeremiah called a weeping prophet? Nobody listened. And so this is what's happening around Ezekiel right now. Ezekiel. Jeremiah is preaching in the city, and they're not listening. God wants to relent. He doesn't want this to happen. Shiloh was in the north, the northern kingdom of Israel. They've already been wiped out 130 years prior. But we see here in Ezekiel 8, the temple is no longer being used to worship Yahweh the Creator. They were using while calling the sin good. They were rejecting and turning their backs to God who saved them out of Egypt and gave them a land. God warned Israel and Judah many times over many centuries. The northern kingdom of Israel had had been conquered and exiled 130 years prior, I already said. Jeremiah was preaching currently in Judah, previously. Isaiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah had all preached before this time. But Israel, to warn both Israel and Judah, but Israel didn't listen, the northern kingdom. Judah at this time, the southern kingdom, was on the same path. Jeremiah was arrested numerous times. He was put in stocks. He was thrown in a pit filled with mud. He was threatened to be executed. He had his writings thrown in the fire and burned. His teachings were ignored and ridiculed. The priests and multiple kings and the people turned their backs on God who led them through the Red Sea and who allowed them to conquer and take possession of the land that they now lived in. Today's big idea is this. Andy will put it on the screen. God's holiness cannot be treated with contempt and discarded like last week's church bulletin. I asked Judy if I could print that. She said, okay. <laughs> but what do we do with last week's church bulletin? It's not good for anything. We might put it in the recycle bin. Okay. If you're a studious person, you might take notes on it and actually save it. But I know 99.9% .9 of you did. If you, even if you take notes, you, you don't save it. That's okay. That's fine. Nobody's mad. But, we, we, but it's just the church bulletin, right? But how often do we treat God that same way? How often do we treat God's scripture that same way? And how many people have you heard say, it's like, well, yeah, that's what it, they had to do back then, but for us today, uh, we're modern, we don't have to do it that way. Well, God told me I don't have to do that. I, me and God had a conversation. Continuation of Ezekiel chapter 8, okay? 
In Ezekiel 8, Ezekiel is back in Babylon. And he's having a vision. And in his vision, he's in Jerusalem at the temple. And all the details that he saw inside the temple last week. He's still there. This is a continuation. Yes, there's a big chapter 9 that just the tone of the vision changes a little bit. And so we're going to read God's word, Ezekiel chapter 9. If you stand and read with me. Now, I'm not reading from the same version as the Pew Bibles, okay? Because there's a very theological reason. I can read out of this version better because it's bigger. So I'm reading out of the New American Standard. (laughs) Ezekiel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Then he cried out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Draw near, O executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. Behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his shattering weapon in his hand. And among them was a certain man clothed with linen, with a writing case at his loins. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of the Lord of Israel went up from the cherub, which it had been, to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the men clothed in linen at the loins whose loins was the writing case. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations which are being committed in its midst. But to the others, he said in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children, and women. But do not touch any man who has the mark. You shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. And he said to them, defile the temple. Fill the courts with the slain. Go out. Thus they went out and struck down the people of the city. As they were striking the people, and I alone was left, I fell on my face and cried, saying, Alas, Lord God, are you destroying the whole remnant of Israel by pouring out your wrath on Jerusalem? And then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great, and the land is filled with blood, and the city is full of perversion. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. But as spare, but I will bring their conduct upon their heads. Then behold, the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was written, the case reporting, saying, I have done just as you have commanded me. Let us pray. Lord God, help us as we examine these words this morning, Lord. They are harsh. They are severe. But help us to understand that it's your holiness that is pure and that is separated from the world and that you are a just and righteous God. You were the mighty God, Lord. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, in this part of the vision, Ezekiel is still at the temple. And I'm a visual person, so I got a picture of the temple for you to see. Okay? So, it's a cutaway of the temple. The big thing with the steps on the outside, that's the altar on the outside. That's outside the temple. 
and there is the, the you see the giant, it's called the, the bronze basin that's full of water. And then the inside of the temple, the first big part of the room is the holy temple. The Levites had to go in there every day. They had to take, make bread and make the candles light. That's where Hanukkah comes from, the candle opera that's in there. And inside that is the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is. And so they're standing outside the temple. Um, the temple doors face east. So if you're standing at the door of the temple facing out, you're facing east. So north is to the left of, the, of, of there. And in verse 1... He says, he cri God cries out with a loud voice, Draw near, O executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. God is calling for executioners. Angels were killed? Well, we know there's an angel of death. We see that in Exodus 12 during the Passover in Egypt. The angel went over every house, and any house that did not have the blood, the firstborn died in that house throughout of Egypt. We know that when David sinned, when he was king, the angel of death went through the entire country of Israel, and many people died. And when that, when that, when that plague stopped, it stopped on this point where the temple is today. And that's why David offered a sacrifice at that point. At that point, it was outside of town. And that's where David offered, and that's where they built the temple. Some people think this is the same hill that Abraham took Isaac up to sacrifice him. Can't say that for sure, but some people think so. And that's where they are. This is a place with a lot of history. And God is calling for an executioner. And usually when you think executioner, just one shows up, right? You know, I'm going to execute somebody, one person, you need one executioner. But no, here, six show up. Six. And each is carrying some sort of deadly weapon, something like a battle axe probably. But remember, this is a spiritual vision. These men are not named. And as we go through here, we find out this is a future vision. This is something that's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. But these are heavenly beings, angels, you could say, who serve God. But in this, there's a seventh person. A man clothed with linen. Soldiers, they don't wear linen. They wear leather. Because that, that's a leather is, you know, is a shield in itself. But this man wore linen. We think linen, we think sheets. But in their day and age, it was priestly garbs. You go back to Leviticus, and it says, it says what the priest is going to wear, and it's linen. It's white. And you remember in this day, they didn't take showers and baths every day. But one of the commandments for the priest, before you put on your leathern claws, you had to take a bath. You had to wash up before you, you don't you don't tell soldiers to wash up before they put on their armor. Okay, that's just not you know, they don't have to worry about that. So it was special. But this is not a priest. It didn't say anything about any priestly other priestly garments. There were other things they had to wear besides the linen, the ephod on the front, the hat, and all that. There's, none of that's mentioned. There's no sashes mentioned. It's just a man wearing linen, and he's got writing utensils, an inkwell, depending, or an inkhorn, depending on your translation, that is on his side. But it doesn't give us any other description of who this man is. So does, 
speculate on who this is and if it's, if, if it's a Christological thing. He's not described like he is in chapter 8. He's not, he doesn't describe, no bronze legs, no shininess. And so it's just an angel. And any further speculation is just, it takes away from the text and what's, what's going on here. So it's just an angel. It's just a man that God had, one of the heavenly army, that God gave this angel a specific mission. But before they get their mission, in verse 3, it says, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub of which it had been to the threshold of the temple, and he called the man clothed in linen. Went up from the cherub. Where is the cherub? The cherub is in the Holy of Holies, on the Ark of the Covenant. When we think angels, this is what we usually think of, a being with wings. But that in the Scripture, that's called a cherub or a seraphim. There's two different creatures. And we know that in Chronicles, in Second Chronicles, when Solomon dedicated the temple, it says the temple, the temple, the Lord's temple, was filled with a cloud, and because of this cloud, the priests could not, were not able to continue ministering for the glory of the Lord filled God's temple. And here it says, God's presence is leaving the cherubs and went to the door of the temple on its way out because of what the people had done, what the priests had done. God was leaving the temple and he was now ready to address the man in linen who had the writing tool. So in verse 4, the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which have been committed in their midst. This angel was supposed to mark the foreheads. Everybody who sighs and groans, like sigh and groan, what? I thought we were... over what? Over the abominations that have been happening. Over all the sin that was happening in the city. Over the sin that the priests had put up idols to other gods in the temple. So I had that picture of the temple up there, but in Ezekiel's, there were other things there that weren't supposed to be there. It doesn't ever name them. Darren talked about it last week, a Asherah pole probably, and maybe some other things that were there. They weren't supposed to be there. The priest put them there. The preachers of the day put them there. Think about that. What if we, we decided not to put the cross up here, but put something else up here, a statue of Dagon? And a Asherah pole. Picture of our favorite movie star. Would that be okay? You know, just put our, or maybe put a Royals logo up here instead. Would that be okay? No. They put other things there that didn't belong. And the people were groaning, the people who were in prayer, in agony, saying, God, why are you letting this happen? Those were the ones who were being marked. Who read Psalms 119 and said they want to put this, God's commands in their heart. 
There was a few that were out there, but they were a few. They were a remnant. People have speculated what this mark was. It doesn't say. We could speculate all day long, but it really doesn't matter what the mark was. It's the fact that God did it. And this is not the only time we see God marking his people. In Deuteronomy, it says, put scripture on your head. Put, write it on your head. And some Jews literally do that. They put a little, they put it and write it on a little piece of paper and put it in a little satchel and they tie it around their head. We see other places in Scripture where this is done. God marks his people. He knows who you are. And this angel was to go through and find all those people. They probably weren't the rich and powerful. They probably weren't always well-educated. But they, were, they knew where they are. They, knew, they probably had to hide so the people didn't ridicule them and persecute them like Jeremiah. Then God continues speaking. He continues speaking, but now he's speaking to the executioners in verse 5. But on the other hand, but to the others, he said in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity. Do not spare. Utterly slay the old men, young men, maidens, little children and women. Do not touch any man on whom is the mark, and you shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. So those elders that Darren read about last week in chapter 8 that were praying to the rising sun, they were slaughtered. They were executed on the spot. To those women who were praying to that foreign god, they were executed on the spot. To the priests who were in the quarters hiding, doing their own thing, they were slaughtered in their space, in their spot, in this vision. And then they went out throughout the city. And why is that significant? He started at the temple, God's place of worship, where dead bodies were not allowed. If a priest touched a dead body, he couldn't be a priest for a certain amount of time. So even if the priest's wife had died, he couldn't do the functions of a priest because he had touched his, his wife's body. And now we're starting by desecrating the place, by having dead bodies there. And he starts there. But this is much like the, the angels are the one doing the next. But you know what? This is like the, Jesus, a parable Jesus told. In Matthew 13, Jesus told the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And when he was describing the parable to the disciples, he says, in the end, my angels will go out and collect all the weeds and throw them into the fire. And this is no different. His angels were doing God's bidding. Here, God is using six angels to enact judgment on Jerusalem, but not on anyone who had God's protective mark. God's judgment is mercy to those who follow him. If you follow him, you will be judged. But God's judgment is mercy. You follow God. You turn your life to God. You follow God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. God's judgment is mercy on you. That's God's judgment. And so it is as much about 
those who are following God and the judgment on them is all the evil people who are being executed. In this vision, no one who is guilty is spared. Not the elderly, not the children, not the women, not any of the men. All are judged. All are accountable to God. Parents, we are accountable to teach our children of all ages. Children are accountable to listen, to learn, and to obey. The age of accountability is not found in Scripture. However, God is a righteous judge. He judges accordingly and truthfully. He will do what is right. God protects the weak and the innocent, no matter what age they are. All are judged according to their ability and to their responsibility. God is just and holy. God will not be mocked. We react in horror as we read these words. And Ezekiel was no different. He knew people who lived in Jerusalem. To us, this is just a bunch of nameless people. But Ezekiel knew people who lived in Jerusalem. He knew names and faces. He knew the priests and the others who failed to follow God. God's judgment will kill people he knew and may have loved. His horror and God's judgment every place he was supposed to serve. God's judgment began with those who were to read and teach God's word. God's judgment began with those who were supposed to lead the people in worship and sacrifice. God's judgment began with the preachers and the pastors of the day. A harsh reality, reality for Ezekiel and for Darren and Craig and me. Sunday school teachers. It's a hard pill to swallow. How did Ezekiel react? Look at verse 8. As they were striking the people, and I alone was left, I fell on my face and cried, saying, Alas, Lord God, are you destroying the whole remnant of Israel by pouring out your wrath on Jerusalem? How did Ezekiel react? Seeing all the death and destruction that was going on, how could the people, how could the remnant survive such a massacre? Even so, God said, protect them. It's like, God, protect me in this tornado that's headed right for us. I mean, if a tornado hits this church, we're, we're, we're in a boatload of trouble because there's really no place to hide. We have no basement in this building, and the basement in the other building is exposed because it's, it's not really a basement. It's only a partial basement. And so we would have to trust God. And if God was, destruct, was, was his judgment on this church for some reason, and God says, I will protect you, those with the mark. So those of you who are saved, you're okay, and those of you who, aren't, who haven't been following God, you're marked for that. Well, how will survive and not sit next to each other? Death and destruction, how, how do you pick and choose? How, do, how does God know the difference? But you know what? Ezekiel was questioning God. He said, God, you're destroying everybody. 
That's not fair. Quit it. But God, let's see God's response and see how he chastises Ezekiel for questioning his authority, right? Verse 9. Then he said to me, God said to Ezekiel, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great, and the land is filled with blood, and the city is full of perversion. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land. The Lord does not see. But as for me, my eye will have no pity, nor will I spare. But I will bring their conduct upon their heads. Where does he chastise Ezekiel for questioning him? It's not fair. He questioned God, but God didn't say a word about it. Sometimes on social media, and some of the different sites, a celebrity or a business exec or some, some intelligent, highly knowledgeable person will do a live feed, and they'll do an Ask Me Anything. And so you can ask them anything about anything that they do, about their job. We've seen it with you know, astronauts and celebrities have done it, different things. But you know what? You don't have to wait for God to get on social media to ask him anything. You can ask him anything. You can ask them, God, why did the one I love have to get cancer? God, why did the one I love have to die in that horrific car crash? Why was I robbed? Why did I lose my job? God, why? As long as you... Jesus said, take your burdens to him. Take your cares to God as Ezekiel did here. Even in the midst of such a great tragedy, Ezekiel fell on his face. You know, we think we should pray. You know, we get the kids, you know, fold your hands, bow your head. Okay. Speak quiet. Everybody has to be quiet when we pray. That's not what Ezekiel did. He fell down on the ground and he said, God, what are you doing? If you come here during the week sometimes when nobody's in here, I'm praying, but I'm not laying on the floor. I'm usually pacing up and down the aisles, and my hands are sometimes waving. God, I hate my brain because it doesn't concentrate very well. Darren gets his sermons all done, and he's all done by Thursday. I was here until 1030 last night. And I've been thinking about this for months. We can cry out to God over anything. God will help heal you. Take your cares to God, Ezekiel did, even in the midst of the great tragedy. Then open your Bible and read. Read much. God may not answer directly your why question, but God will be enough for you to survive and maybe even thrive in the midst of your troubles. God will help you heal, even if the healing takes a long time. Sometimes the healing's only spiritual, not physical. Didn't the Apostle Paul say God's grace is sufficient for him? Even Paul wasn't a healed of his physical malady, whatever it was. He doesn't tell what it was, but he wasn't healed. But did God use him? And use him mightily, even though he did what? But God judges impartially. We see, we judge by what we see. 
God judges impartially, but we don't. We judge by what we see. We are biased towards our friends and our family. We are biased by our culture. We are biased by politics. We are biased by our wealth or lack thereof. We are biased by race and ethnicity. God is not biased. God demands that we be holy as he is holy. God calls for us to follow him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and all our strength. God calls us to live the fruit of the Spirit every day, everywhere, to everyone. No exceptions. There are, there are no off days when serving God. You may take a physical off day and rest and relax and sleep in, but spiritually there are no off days. I don't have to follow God today. This is my off day. No, it doesn't work that way. After today, you will discard the church bulletin. You put it in the trash, recycle bin. But do not discard God's call for holiness and sanctification. Turn to God. Repent of your sins. The ancient people of Israel did not, and they died in judgment. This vision that we just read about in chapter 9 is a vision of the future. Jerusalem did not fall for another six years or so. They had a six more years to repent. And they did not. How do I know they did not? Second Chronicles chapter 36 tells us. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there, were no, there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on the young men or virgin or old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. All the articles of the house of the Lord, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his officers were bought to all Babylon. And they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all the fortified buildings with fire, and destroyed all the valuable articles. So what Ezekiel saw in a vision in chapter 9 came true six years later, as he saw it. These six angels weren't literally the cause of their death. The Babylonian army was. The famine, the plagues that went through the city as they were under siege did. We know Jeremiah had the mark. He survived this. You read in the book of Jeremiah. He survived, and a small handful of people survived the attack and lived there after the Babylonians did all this. We know people live there because you read in Ezra and Nehemiah, there were people living there. Israel's day of judgment came. As the prophet said, they called it the day of the Lord. 
It was a terrible day of the Lord for them. You have until the day of the Lord, the day of your death, to repent. Unfortunately, we don't know when that is. But today can be the day of your salvation. Today is the day to confess your sins to God. Repent and Whether it's the first time or the hundredth time. Not that you have to get saved again, but confession of sin is a continual thing. Turning your heart to God is a continual thing. I have followed God and went to church and did things for God since I was a kid. I probably, even as a kid, I went to church when my mom didn't. I remember walking across the street and go to the church across the street when mom stayed home. I was in high school. I got a ride from a neighbor to go to church even when my mom didn't. But yet God is showing me sin in my life today that was there when I was that teenager that God's now working on me that he didn't work on when I was a teenager. I was like, God, aren't I there yet? Can I do the checkbox and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all sanctified. I'm done being sanctified now. No, that's how we get to heaven. Seek God's holiness in your life by casting out your sin. Seek to fill your mind and your soul with God's word instead of earthly entertainment. Seek to find godly counsel instead of the world's foolishness. Seek to bring all your cares to God instead of taking it to the Internet. Seek God first. That's, that's the call. Seek God first. And that's the call of this message. That's the holiness of God. You seek him first. So all this garbage doesn't happen to you. Okay? That you will have the mark of God on your head that some angel in linen will put on you. They didn't put their marks, they didn't mark their own heads. The angel, the angel of God did that. Because God looks at our hearts, looks deep into your soul, and he knows where you are. He knows where you're just putting on a mask and a, and a fancy face, and he knows where your heart really is. He knows the difference. We can sometimes hide the difference. Seek God first. Let us pray. Lord God, you are a mighty and a precious God. Help us to be your we do.